Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Sense of Place podcast. Now I'm sure some of you listening have visited London at some point in your life and some of you probably even live there. However, you've probably never considered the secret world of London's hidden portals when you've been walking the streets. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Tom, a man behind a blog called Portals of London. Portals of London is a blog that works towards cataloguing the variety of London's interdimensional gateways. Now, before we get into our interview with Tom, I'm going to give you a bit of context by telling you about some of the posts he writes on the blog, in particular, the ones which we discuss in the interview. Because at this point, you're probably thinking, what is she talking about, Portals of London? Anyway, so each post on the blog is a report on a particular portal sighting, which provides details of the portal type. For example, it could be a wormhole or a time anomaly. And alongside that is the main bulk of the report, which discusses the experience of the individuals or groups who have experienced something to do with that particular portal, or it is a report on the person who experienced it and what had happened to them from like a third person perspective. Now I'm going to start off by giving you an overview of probably Tom's most famous report and most widely shared, which was on the Woolwich Tunnel. So in 2011, the Woolwich Foot Tunnel closed to repairs, and this was meant to be bog standard, speedy, wouldn't take too long, ended up taking eight months longer than expected to repair it. Now why was this? Well, according to Tom's report, The delay was caused by some unusual circumstances and that unusual circumstance was a time anomaly. So one contractor who was working down there reported that he aged three years when he was on the job. And I've got a little quote from one of the contractors who was working down there on the job at the time. He stated, if you were down there for a full working day, you'd basically finish work, you'd come back up and it would still be morning outside. So initially he thought this was great because, you know, he wasn't from London, he got to do all the touristy stuff, um, jam-packed his day, productivity to the level. But then despite that, he they all began to realise how tired they were because although there was a time anomaly, they their, their bodies were still experiencing normal levels of if you had been awake for a full working day. He also mentioned that some younger agency boys who were working there tried to claim extra on their timesheet also how initially they were all kind of freaked out by it but then it just became completely normal like once you're down there living in that environment you just get used to it so the blog post ended by stating that the tunnel was reopened in early 2012 and since this time no discrepancies have been reported again about strange happenings down there So another post that we discuss is Faraway Islands, the Stockwell Bus Garage Manifestation. This is a part one of two that we discuss. This report talks of a man named Jason Allen and of the summer of 1976 when he was just a boy. So Jason's father was a bus driver. He had many memories of going to the bus station in Stockwell and exploring it with his friend Eleanor, whose father also worked at the bus garage. All sounds pretty bog standard, doesn't it? But one day when Jason and Eleanor were playing in one of the old storerooms at the back of the garage, they went and found a goddamn secret island, I'm telling you, yep. So this island was a perfect place for them to play, of course. They could do dens, they could just... Can you imagine the fun you'd have as a kid if you found a secret island? Well, basically, they did all that. So years went by anyway. Jason got on with his life. 
sadly his father passed and on his father's deathbed he revealed to Jason that he knew about this island. All Jason's adulthood he thought that island was it real was it not was it just a childhood game that we made up and it seemed more vivid in my memory but he revealed to him that this island was in fact real. So my final brief overview of one of the posts we discuss is slightly different type of portal from the ones discussed before. It relates to headless statues in Crystal Palace Park. Basically, there had been reports that a number of these statues had been causing vision-inducing powers. So if you've been to Crystal Palace Park, there is a statue of a seated woman at the top of the park. It's not far from the, the historical site of Crystal Palace. And I'm going to use this statue as an example from the report to give you a gist of the happenings, what's been going on. So according to a report in 2004, a schoolboy using the statue as a goalpost rested his hand on her shoulder while defending a corner. It took the boy's friend several minutes to prise his hand free, during which time he had been locked into a sort of trance. Nobody knows what he saw, because he'd been unable to communicate since um, and his parents have told more recently in 2014 reporters that their son's nights were plagued by screaming nightmares and he's now developed a chronic fear of music, poetry and prose. Now that one is pretty damn dark and I have to say there are other statues in this report but if you'd like to know about those I suggest you go to the Portals of London website and read it yourself and also all of the other portal reports because there is plenty on there and they're all an excellent read. So there we have it. That is a little taster into the world of the Portals of London blog and the types of portals that are reported. But now we're going to crack on with the episode and chat to Tom where we're going to learn about his inspirations for the blog, some of his favourite portals in London some of the responses the blog has received from the wider public and whether he might venture further afield than London in his hunt for portals. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. So you describe Portals of London as a catalogue of London's interdimensional gateways. I first came across your site through a link that was uh, posted on Facebook and it was the Woolwich Tunnel story. And I've got to say personally, when I first saw that post, I wasn't sure if it was genuine or fiction. Um, And it was only when I later came across the Guardian article that it kind of was like, oh yeah, this is probably some sort of fictional world. But would you be able to explain to the listeners what that post was about and why do you think it was this one that really took off online and exploded compared to the other ones? Yeah, so so the blog came about it, you know, it was originally for me a big part of it was a way of writing fiction and this this kind of presenting it as a factual kind of report on interdimensional gateways in London. Uh, was a framework for getting lots of um, story ideas out there. The funny thing about the Woolwich Foot Tunnel is it's one of the ones where I I don't really remember the story coming about in my mind that much. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess, obviously, uh, a lot of the blog's influenced by place and places in London, and the Woolwich Foot Tunnel is a very spooky and atmospheric place. And 
I guess I'd read the uh, the story of it being closed for construction, and I had ideas of sort of time slips in my mind. So it came about that way. But yeah, it really did. It really did blow up, and I think I think there's kind of three three elements to that. One is kind of what you've mentioned that a lot of people thought it might be real or didn't know if the construction worker was real or that he really believed his experiences um, or they kind of knew people knew it was fiction but enjoyed kind of pretending it was real. I have to say, like, I do think the way you've done it with like the construction workers, I think when I read it, that's why I was like, oh my God, like this actually, it was closed and this happened. It makes you think for a minute. And then you're just like, calm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing I've always, you know, found fun about the blog is um, tying the the stories to um, to real events and real places and real history. So there was that element. Then there was, uh, I think, just the timing of it because the that story had been on the blog for about six months by then, and it was it was already the most popular one on there. But really, it was it was that was kind of in terms of that like thousands of visitors. But um, when it went viral, there was like hundreds and thousands of visitors to that blog post over the weekend. And it was that weekend between Christmas and New Year. And I think, you know, no one's at work and people kind of after Halloween, Christmas is probably the, the time when people want spooky stories and are looking for that kind of thing. So those are, those are the two of the elements where I think that one really took off. And the third element touches on what we've discussed already and I think is kind of a lesson to me as a writer in that it's one of the blog posts that is told the most straight in that there's there's often a sort of narrator's voice which kind of touches on the kind of urban exploration element of of the stories and goes into the sort of deep histories of the place uh, that have inspired them but most of that's left out of that blog post and I thought there was there was one telling comment underneath where someone said that they loved it because it tapped into the sort of ancient mysteries of of the river and the London clay that the tunnels kind of go through, which I thought was great. Um, and it was, it's kind of that old thing that people always say, you know, show, show, don't tell. People will pick up on those those influences anyway. Yeah. In terms of like the people you get reading the blog, I mean, I, I, I've got to say, I kind of like reading the comments sometimes because you think, are they like for real or are they joking or just enjoying yeah. the whole element of it? Because um, would you say that they're sort of people who are really into that kind of thing or they just love the sort of fancy side? Or um, Yeah, it's, it, it's a mix. Um, I think most people just see it for fiction and enjoy it for that reason and come at it um the same way i do really which is yeah i kind of like fictional ghost stories i you know i i also believe that there's a kind of there is a strangeness to reality and a strangeness to place and uh i think that's that those strange elements that sort of attach to folklore and attach to ghost stories and attached to sort of urban legends for me sort of those hard to define that, that, that hard to define oddness is actually for me is kind of best told through fiction i think fiction kind of comes comes close to capturing that quite often uh, especially sort of fiction where it inter, in, interlinks with folklore so there are people that yeah who are reading it uh coming from the same place that i'm writing it 
there are not many, but a surprising number of people who just kind of think that it's a factual report of kind of interdimensional gateways, which I guess I was quite naive about, really. That didn't really occur to me when I started writing it. I I remember reading one comment where somebody was saying they were writing their dissertation on this or something, and I was like, oh, my God, are they? is this real? Like, they're actually writing about portals or, like, gateways. and yeah. So, so it does seem like when you read the comments, some people seem like they're proper into it, and then others are just sort of enjoying the element of escape with it, sort of. Yeah, I think most do, and I think uh, I think like, like like we discussed earlier, people, a lot of people were drawn to it and sort of contacted me like uh, through direct messaging or email. Like they didn't think it was fact, but they didn't know whether I thought it was the writer thought it was fact. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because you kind of do it as a report sort of thing. Where are you coming from? Like, is this this fiction? Or so, so yeah, like I say, I mean, because, yeah, it was a little naive of me maybe because I've I've read commenters say, you know, well, nowhere on this, nowhere on the blog post does it say it's fiction. And sort of for me, you know, like subtext of the tagline towards the catalogue of interdimensional gateways. That, that for me says this is fiction but obviously for other people uh, <laughs> yeah I have to say I feel like you should never say fully because I, I think that's kind of why it's so great because it's a little when you first come across it you're like is it real and it for a moment yeah. makes you think it might be even though you think you're crazy you're like how could this be real I also I've got to say I love the layout of the website with the maps and stuff now because I think that even just adds to it more because it's like you've organized it all and yeah, yeah. No, I was glad. I, I, yeah, I wanted the map there as well because I wanted people to be able to sort of pick the stories, you know, not have to go through it uh, chronologically as they're up there. But no, it's it's straight. I I do think that with the Woolwich Foot Tunnel, I might have created an urban legend because I tweeted about the foot tunnel recently, and people like not referencing the blog post specifically. People were saying. Um, Oh yeah, is that is that the one where those strange time experiences happening? And <laughs> really, it sounds like you haven't created yeah, one. Then. And someone said, um, "Oh yeah, I read about that on Atlas Obscura," and so I sort of searched up Atlas Obscura, and there's nothing about Woolwich or the Foot Tunnel on there. So it's kind of it's kind of out there now as this story that I've kind of lost control of. Nice, kind of got that as your legacy now. <laughs> that story. <laughs> Yeah. So when did you start this blog? What was your inspiration behind it? Had, is it something you'd been thinking of doing for a long time or just? Well, some of the stories are quite old and have been around as story ideas for probably a decade or more, but just existing as kind of unfinished stories on my laptop. So they kind of said, so there's that inspiration that comes from fiction from ghost stories i would say like traditional ghost stories and mr james is a big one and kind of children's fantasy fiction that, that i read uh from like sort of 70s 80s era so alan garner is a big one in the way that he has his kind of gateways to uh mystical worlds kind of open up in the walls of suburban housing or or in a kind of bombed out manchester landscapes so yeah lo- loads of fictional influences in there and then of course we've already mentioned just the sort of strangeness of london and like the many layers of histories in london 
And yeah, so these ideas were sort of kind of looking for a home. I guess the final the final thing was kind of Twitter and blogging. And I kind of saw uh, a new way to to perhaps do it. There's the uh, Scarfuck, which is quite famous, which is the kind of imaginary 70s council kind of told through dystopian propaganda and quite violent sort of posters. And then uh, particularly Hookland as well, which is a kind of deeper exploration of, uh, of folklore uh, told through the places of a fictional county and told in a sort of guidebook form. So that was definitely a big influence. Yeah. I do feel like you've kind of really brought folk tales into the modern era, if you know what I mean. You're looking at now, like the yeah. stories are based around places now. You've got the pictures. So it's just really bringing it forward and doing it in a blog form as well, like not a sort of storybook form. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and I thought, um, I guess a lot of kind of, a lot of real folklore and real history has kind of been written about a lot. So I kind of thought that making making my own up was... Um, there's a good way to talk about that and, a, and as you say a good way to talk about real places and yeah places now did psychogeography influence you by any chance or not um, or is it just to a degree yeah i mean i haven't read loads of like sort of the big ones like in sinclair is the one people ask about and you know i'm kind of aware of his stuff and he's probably influenced me through his wide influence kind of uh rather than directly i mean i know he's he's in, he influenced like alan moore who uh i read when i was younger but for me in terms of things that get labeled psychogeography uh patrick keeler is a big one his robinson films and especially london obviously and uh yeah the way he talks about that well that film sort of talks about london in a specific moment sort of post thatcher 90s London but it's kind of it's a London that's infected by its kind of its history and its mythology and he also obviously ha he has the character of Robinson so that so it's kind of told at once removed by a narrator discussing the words of, of this fictional explorer called Robinson so that was probably an influence as well yeah I mean to be fair psychogeography is such a big label it can, can encompass a lot yeah. now but it just they sort of reminded me a little bit because they've got that element of truth and sort of fiction to it which obviously comes into psychogeography yeah no yeah definitely I mean um yeah I think that the meaning of psychogeography seems to have sort of changed a lot over the years and um, when a lot of people say that word I often think that what they're talking about is just geography or urban geography yeah, yeah. I mean, it can be pretty much anything now. I mean, obviously, people think of Ian Sinclair, but I'm not going to lie. Like, I've tried to read his stuff, and I just it's a bit too much just yeah, to read. No, it doesn't I, flow very well for me. Yeah, I've never, I've never, I've never got that far with it. Uh, I'd like to read some of his earlier stuff as well because um, you get the impression um, that the recent stuff is just there seems to be a lot of complaining about <laughs> about London, which you know I'm sure there's I'm sure there's lots to complain about, but. Um, not what you want to be reading. No, maybe I should read it there because that's obviously just no, it might just be a, an impression I have. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that does come into it as well, doesn't it? Didn't he do something about complaining about the Olympics? And maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but something like that. Um, yeah, well, his, well, his most recent book was called The Last London, which is kind of I suppose it's kind of any writer, you know, a lot of what people bring to it is coming from other people. 
you know, do you, and you, you start writing about a place and kind of other, other people put you on this pedestal as the sort of the voice of that place, you know, and I'm sure no writer really asks to be that. They're just writing about their own, you know, their own experiences of that place. Hmm. In terms of when you come up with new ideas, is it a long process? Do you normally sort of go to a place to think of an idea or is it just something you just sort of come up with at your computer or do you sort of go out and about and be like, oh, this might be a good idea? A bit, a, a bit of both, really. Um, I mean, a lot of the initial ideas are, um, I mean, because I didn't grow up in London, but I lived here for kind of a decade and a half now. So a, a lot of them are just places that I've been to, places that I know. I almost think that now that that map's on there, actually, I, I think that... Um, as the stories go on, people will be able to pretty much pinpoint my address. As, uh, <laughs> yeah. Or you can certainly, you can sort of, you can trace where, because I moved around a bit in London when I've lived here and you can sort of, or when I look at it, I can kind of trace the places where I've lived and um, also where I worked because I hadn't really had to go out seeking new places that much because, yeah, I've been writing about the places that I've, I've just known over those years. In fact, I keep saying that I need to discover more portals in West London because I think you can kind of tell that uh, I, I know East London better. So yeah, some of the ideas come from the places. There's other ideas. So the most recent one was called the New Court Continuum, and that came from. I really enjoyed that one because that actually came from a, a London that was ne never built. I'm really interested in unbuilt London, all, all the sort of architectural plans, you know, that came after the Great Fire and that came after the Blitz and all these other ideas. Like there's one crazy idea that someone once had to uh, redirect the Thames so that it kind of went in a straight line across South London. So kind of turned the central... Tem River Thames bed into like a big I can't remember if it was going to be a park or a motorway uh one of the two all those kind of things so, oh my um, God. so when was when was that that's crazy I think that was relatively recently isn't it 20th <laughs> god can you imagine trying to do that I can't believe somebody even came up with that idea yeah I know I think that was like destroy quite a lot of housing so so yeah they come from they come from different places and they it's quite a fun process writing them because I never really know which one is going to suddenly come to fruition. So a lot, a lot of them might be just one one word idea sat in a file on my laptop for months with me not really knowing what to do with it or how to turn it into a post. And then suddenly I'll just come up with a hook and then it will just come very quickly and easily. There's ones, yeah, so I, I, I never really know which one. I've had to apologise to a friend recently because... Um, he took some photos for me, which was going to be in a blog post. And that was about a year ago. But I, when, he, when he took the photos, I thought I was quite close to finishing this blog post. But it just hasn't been finished since then. Just other ones just kind of crop up. Um, so, so yeah. They just sort it's, of come uh, eventually to you. It could take a while. but Yeah, which is fun. And yeah, and like I say, some, some come from the places. Some come from stories from history. So it's good. Some come from walking about and some come from just sitting at home reading about London. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the favourite portals in London that you've written about? So in terms of the blog posts? Yeah, yeah. 
So my favorite ones are, are the ones where I, I kind of feel like those kind of the spooky fantasy story element has tied in quite well with the urban urban element that I'm trying to capture or that influences the stories. So one I always say is that is the Wrencher wrote one about a ghost church, uh, which kind of flits around the city of London. So so in the city of London, there, there's kind of office blocks which have to sort of curl around in strange shapes because of the kind of footprints of medieval churches and the medieval churches that weren't rebuilt by Christopher Wren. So it's that it's it's that element of when you can visibly see the the, the kind of history in London. Uh you can you can see this space which was a kind of place of worship, possibly going back to, you know, Anglo Saxon London or before. But certainly back to medieval times, but there's actually been no building there for like, what, 400, 500 years. But it's still influencing everyday life in London today, those kind of elements. So, yeah, I like that one because cause it captured those two elements. Yeah, I, I haven't read all of your posts on there. I actually really liked the one about the bus station, just because... For some, when I was young, like I was from Croydon, so there was the the bus station there. Driving past it when I was young, I always used to just be like, "Oh, it's so cool! I really want to go in there." So it kind of when I read that, it reminded me of that of me when I was young, just thinking about how cool the bus station was, and that I wanted to go in there and stuff. And then you wrote about there being those kids playing in there, and yeah, I think I've always felt the same, the, the same about bus stations. Yeah, that one in Stockwell's particularly cool. I used, yeah, I, I used to uh, work around the corner from there, so walked walked by it a lot. Spent a lot of time just sort of daring myself to go close and further and further in. They can often be strangely empty as well because they're so big. There's kind of like buses dotted around in the distance, and but it can unless you see a sort of driver coming in or out, you can you can sort of not see anyone around, and you think, where is? Yeah. I think as well at the time, you know, obviously they have the uh, cleaners for the buses. When you're four, you think, oh my God, what are these huge, weird things? They look weird to you when you're little. So it's just stuff like that. And like you said, they're pretty empty. So it's that, the buses just dotted around. Yeah. Nobody really there, just this huge sort of space. Yeah. I think when you start working on a project like this, the kind of, there's so much about the sort of urban landscape that's inspirational yeah no definitely it's that overlap with you know it's so relatable and just in your day-to-day life and then you just make it have that mysterious turn on it yeah I also like the um crystal palace one you did about the statues I don't know if I'm just being biased because I'm near to there so I obviously knew the area because obviously that does appeal a little you know it so hearing a story about it that does make a difference to people I'm glad you like that one. That was um, that was probably the quickest one that I wrote. That was more of a scary one, though, wasn't it? That was more of like a old school scary type one. I felt. Yeah, I shared it on Twitter today for Halloween. So <laughs> that was um, a case of what I was talking about, where there's kind of you know the statues. I knew I wanted to write something about them. But hadn't really got much further than that, and then it was snowing one day, and I was quite close to Crystal Palace Park. So I just thought, oh, this would be a good time to get some photos of those those statues. Yeah, I've got to say the snow certainly added to the atmosphere of the picture for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's probably another element going back to the Woolwich foot tunnel that 
caused it to be shared so widely is is the image like i I've noticed that blog posts with the, when they, where they have the stronger image, they get shared more widely. It's quite a big thing. Yeah, I do feel kind of like the pictures is half of it as well, isn't it? Because you, like you say, if you see a eerie image or something, you're going to think, "Oh, what's that? I'm going to click on that." Yeah. And just when you're like reading the story as well, it sort of adds to it. Would you ever consider looking for portals further afield than London? I know the blog is Portals of London, but... Yeah, I kind of pride myself down with that. <laughs> with the name, but um, I, I think lo- lot of the theme, lots of the themes there that we've talked about are quite applicable to other cities and towns even. There's that the kind of layering of those histories and, um, you know, the fact that we're sort of we kind of live live among the kind of architecture of these kind of huge moments like the industrial revolution and the coming of the railways world war 2 bombing and post war planning after that you know which kind of as uh 21st century people a lot of us are kind of you know quite disassociated from apart from the fact that we're still kind of living in the environment that uh that these moments created so all of that kind of stuff's not very specific to london really but london is i mean i think i've you know i've got a, a lot there are a lot more portals in london basically i think to find i mean one one thing it has is its size obviously and you know that that kind of villagey feel to it where it, where it is just lots of kind of you can kind of still see the the original villages there and the, the, it's all just kind of all these places joined up which is where um because i think that's another element of it is kind of the stories are also influenced by what you might call a kind of rural folklore uh, i think as well as the kind of urban landscape and urban legends there's you know it's, um these days know south london quite well and there's uh, the great north wood lies beneath like norwood and gypsy hill and all those areas and it's kind of still you can see it in little patches of woodland obviously there's the, the lost rivers and you know the thames itself all of these are kind of uh, sources of kind of old non-urban folklore which i which i kind of i still kind of see there beneath beneath london yeah, to be fair, you've probably got a heck of a lot more portals in London to find first. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Do you ever get people messaging you saying anything like, oh, I think I've spotted a portal or there might be something here or there? Or Yeah, like I get loads of people um, send, sending images of kind of strange doorways and strange places they found which is which is great yes it's you know that's people joining in in the sort of fictional world of of the blog which is good i don't get so many from people that really think that they found portals (laughs) yeah you'd be a bit like okay then yeah it's kind of kind of difficult at least as you say it's that guardian article which i can usually just uh, direct people politely direct people to that when they got in touch with you, were you kind of like, well, this can be my moment to sort of clarify here what I'm up to? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, uh, like you say, it's kind of, it's it's good to keep the blog is that this is real and that's part of the fiction. So I don't really want to put mu- too much on the blog, kind of breaking down that fourth wall. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, if someone wants to find out enough, they can just do a bit of Googling. But in terms of the blog, you kind of want to keep it looking like that because it just, it works so well. Yeah, that's what I think. And I had, because I have had moments because there's that, you know, Mysterious Universe. No, I I don't. That podcast. I think it's Australian. It's an Australian podcast, but it's it's like um, really big, popular podcast about like paranormal stories. And they 
they mentioned the blog and they told some of the stories like the Woolwich Foot Tunnel and some of the other ones, but they completely presented it as if this was kind of like an open question, whether it's fiction or not. Really? Really disingenuous. And it's kind of like, if you're making this quite popular blog about paranormal phenomena, I think you probably would have Googled Portals of London, you know. So for, for a moment, I actually did put like another page up on, on the blog saying that this is fiction. But then I changed my mind again and took it away. And I just kind of told myself that, um, you know, I might put it back if the sort of Guardian article where I talk about it being fiction ever gets bumped off the first page of Google. But yeah. In terms of that podcast, did they get in touch with you or was it like you literally just found it and they'd been talking about about portals of london no no they just uh they didn't even try to get in touch they just kind of told the stories as if they were potentially real which um yeah yeah i know that was cheeky wasn't it yeah i mean it's quite you know it's it's a good podcast but um and i think there's people that make it probably coming from a good place but that left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth really because there's obviously lots of people listening to it who do believe in this stuff and are interested and you know it's fair enough if it's genuinely ambiguous but to present something that you can you i'm sure that they knew was fiction as if it's not is a bit Hopefully people who listen to that didn't, well, to be honest, if they're hardcore into that, they might have actually believed it because it is, it is on the verge of being believable. That's all right. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, I'm trying to have my cake and eat it because I, I kind of want it. I want to present it as if it's on the verge of being believable. That's part of the style. But yeah, like I said at the beginning, it was probably na- it was naive of me. I, I just you know, assumed that people would know that it's fiction, but but enjoy the style, you know enjoy the fantasy that it's not yeah so just to round up where can people find portals of london are you on other social media outlets well the blog's on wordpress so it's portalsoflondon.com and and then there's there's twitter at portals of london and there is a facebook but i very poorly tended to so yeah if you if you kind of want to find the more interactive side of of portals of london is um happens through twitter really yeah get on twitter then <laughs> yeah right twitter um twitter's been amazing and that, that's an, a, another thing quickly i just want to say about the project is um aside from getting my ideas out there it's just been an, an amazing learning process and kind of all the people that i've kind of met through it and all the new strange stories about london that i've learned um, it's been really amazing. And it's, it's now this kind of like self-perpetuating project where I'm just kind of, you know, influenced by all this stuff that I kind of learn more of because because the project's out there and, you know, creates these connections with people, which is brilliant. Yeah, no, I bet. Honestly, Twitter is great for stuff like that, isn't it? It's just, I feel like it works better than Facebook in that element. Facebook seems a bit more of like a thing for people you know in person, but when you want to sort of find out bizarre things or hobbies or twitter's a lot better for that i think yeah no i agree yeah i've never really gotten on with facebook but yeah twitter really works for that but obviously like a lot of people i have a love-hate relationship with twitter so i'm <laughs> i'm often away from i have to give it a rest for a few days i am there as on portals of london as a sort of part-time presence it is a great resource really yeah no yeah it's wonderful it's definitely um yeah it's helped me get this project going and um was a big encouragement in the early days as well just just getting feedback from readers really really kept it going i've toyed with the idea of um 
doing a Portals of London podcast, but um, yeah, never never get around to doing the extra work. You should consider it, yeah. What kind of take on it would you be thinking, like, as in reading the stories or just discussing them? Or That's another, another question to it, yeah. Obviously, reading the stories would be the easiest way. The most difficult way would be to try and replicate the blog with sort of, you know, actors pretending to be construction workers and that sort of thing, which would be an extremely big job. But yeah, just reading the stories, I guess, or like presenting it as if it's, you know, like an urban exploration side of it, but then with the fictional stories woven in. Yeah. It's bewildering. Yeah, it's kind of, I've barely, barely dipped my toes into, into the world, really. So that was the last episode of this series of interviews that you've just listened to. I hope you enjoyed it and if you haven't heard of Portals of London before, um, apologies in a way because obviously that kind of spoiled the fact that it's kind of on the cusp between fiction and reality. Maybe I led you on in the intro, I kind of wanted to do that for a bit of fun but obviously once you get into it, yeah we get, you realise that's not the case. But anyway, still absolutely check out the blog, it's really really good. And since I recorded that, there's actually a few more posts up anyway, because I recorded that back in October 2018, so it's ages ago. You might have picked that up in the interview with the mention of Halloween, but there's plenty more great stuff on there to have a read of now. Another thing I would just like to say is that I am working on some more episodes now. I have no idea when they'll be released at this stage. It's just a case of when I manage to get them done and when guests can talk and so on. But If you've got Twitter, I'll keep things up to date on there. And if you don't have Twitter, just on the website, even keep updated on there. And in terms of where you listen to your podcast, if you just subscribe, you'll obviously just get the episodes when they come out. I mean, there's heaps of places to listen to them. Obviously, I've kind of realised that now because I know on the outros, I'm like, subscribe on iTunes, the classic line. But I don't even listen to podcasts on iTunes. I use Google and yeah there's heaps of the things so whatever takes your fancy if you're subscribed then you will know when the next episode will be out i just want to say a big thank you to john dan trevor tom ian and merlin for all chatting to me sadly merlin's one that's the um psychogeography article that i put on the website up on the website because the audio quality was not very good but Don't forget to have a read of that because, you know, it was a good interview and he's very knowledgeable in terms of everything psychogeography. We just chatted about how pretentious it can be, the sort of looser label that it's receiving, how it's developed and changed over the years and is continuing to do so. So it's good if you're not aware of psychogeography at all and also if you are aware, it's just kind of chatting about it, like I said. I expect most of you listening to this are probably kind of aware of psychogeography as it does come up a lot in this area. Anyway, one last thing before I go. I'm probably going to have to outro my outro now because I've been talking for so long. A big thank you for the positive feedback I've received on Twitter and iTunes. Really kind of you and thank you for listening and I'm really glad that you're enjoying it. So yeah, I'll go now and speak to you again soon with some more episodes and some new guests to enjoy. Enjoy.